Balotelli. Aguero! Lewandowski goes through again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think he's scored a goal every time he's had a shot. Hello, guys, and welcome back to the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. With me, as always, is a man who's like the handball controversy to my Premier League, Lewis. A little bit of foreshadowing in the topics there. We have a host of games, and this time I quite literally mean host of games because we are going into three matches from each the Bundesliga and Premier League, starting with some desperate football being played in West Germany, moving then down to the south of Germany, where we have seen an upset of upsets then we move on to the premier league where on the south coast we have had one of the most unreal finishes to a match i have ever seen in my life then and also another upset in manchester finishing off with the top match that has just finished this time of recording monday night and without further ado let's get straight into the bundesliga gonna be easy starting with this one because Schalke have just they've been appalling since January 2020 can I go out on a limb ever so quickly please you appoint a manager in David Wagner who took charge of arguably one of the worst Premier League sides in history and um, you know it's not going to end well for you who thought it would I certainly didn't so he's been sacked. They were bodied again. And they weren't just bodied by anyone. They were bodied by a, a Bremen team who, much like Schalke, also picked up where they left off last season in struggling. I mean, they got decked 4-1 by Berlin. It's, it really goes, just, it goes to show just how far Schalke have slipped down, you know, down the table when you know, you're losing to a struggling Bremen team who... And I mean, they, they didn't just lose. They got decked 3-0. I mean, Niklas Füllkrug, who had a ripped ACL, made his comeback in May of last year. Or of this year, sorry. And goes and scores a hat trick. I mean, Jesus. And for all three of those goals, they had, Schalke had 11 players. It wasn't until the 84th minute that Kabak got sent off. I mean, Kabak, that's also going to have some fun uh, DFB ruling where Kabak, most likely for his spit attack, uh, will be fined and most likely banned uh, for multiple matches. I wouldn't be surprised if he got a five-match ban for that. I mean, the only tiny consolation is that Mark Oot scored at the very end, literally with the last kick of the game. But other than that, it's just... I watched the highlights, and it is like watching that Huddersfield team that got ready yet in a few seasons back. There's just no pressure on the ball. It's like you could turn up with 11 people that you've never met before. You'd rock up, and honestly, you probably beat that Schalke side. 
everyone says, you know, uh, Bayern, they're just that good. I'm not going to lie. As a Bayern fan, I'm going to be saying, I'm pretty sure Schalke made it that much easier. Like, yes, definitely on top form for that match, at least. Get into that more a little bit later. But, you know, it's 8-0. You don't... Schalke as a team, if they hadn't played an unreal first half of the season 2019... They would have been relegated last year because they did. They they are now winless for seventeen eight matches. Sorry, eighteen now with the Bremen match. Eighteen matches without three points. It's relegation um, form, and you can spin it however you want to spin it. But that's relegation form, no matter what league you're in. Yeah, and it's yeah. Not, you know, I said last season that okay maybe because of the pandemic and coming back when the Bundesliga restarted, maybe give David Wagner some more time. And obviously it's not worked out. And the powers that be at Schalke have gone, no. Because they embarked on this massive rebrand of football. It it was going to be different. This season was going to be a new look Schalke. It really was just more the same. Yeah, it's just cut from the same cloth. You can see why Weston McKennie wanted out as, as quickly as he did. He's gone from a team that, where if he had stayed, he would have gotten spanked 8-0 and 3-0 respectively. I mean, 11 goals conceded in two games. There are teams in, you know, non-league sides that have conceded less to the beginning of a season. Like, that's just depressing, man. Well, if only a certain other German club hadn't taken their first-choice goalkeeper. I mean, he wasn't their first choice when, you know, he actually did come to Bayern, just saying. <laughs> He was good for half a season, and then uh, he got demoted. <laughs> so they've now sacked David Wagner. I don't know who's rumored to come in. Well, the first one actually was Ralf Ragnick, who took over Leipzig after uh, Hasenhüttl left for Southampton for one season, and he was their sport. He was a sporting director of Red Bull's football division. And he was heavily linked with an AC Milan manager, uh, managerial position um, for the season. But in the end, for whatever reason, uh, that appointment never came in. And he has already said no to the Schalke job. And I think many managers are not going to touch the Schalke job with a 10-foot pole. Because you're coming into an, into an atmosphere where you literally at first are full-on crisis management mode. Yeah, it's the poison chalice no matter how good that Schalke team has been or potentially could be right now they need a manager in who can deal with the pressure yeah maybe someone like Claudio Ranieri Claudio Ranieri yeah I wouldn't even go as far as to say because I'm thinking back to Lucien Favre's days as not only a Gladbach coach, but also a Hertha Berlin coach. He took those two clubs out of near relegation zones as well and, you know, saved them and got them then into Euro- European playoff positions the next season. We can get into, you know, if Favre is the right coach for Dortmund at the minute, but I'd say Favre as a coach might be the guy for striker, as funny as it sounds, because we're talking about the current Dortmund manager. But... You know, he's a guy who has experience with multiple clubs taking them out of crisis situations and underperforming for their squad value and getting them back. Well, David Wagner isn't the only 
managerial casualty this weekend in the Bundesliga might Achim, have also yeah. sacked their coach. Achim Bayerlotza. And funnily enough, you do point out that he's been sacked. This is after a massive controversial move where Adam Soloy, their star striker, was benched. And for whatever reason, the players felt that they had enough clout to, as a full squad, not show up to training on Wednesday, which means... Did they not? Yeah, they, they, stri- they went on strike. Jesus. Which, you know, obviously, yeah, exactly. You know, and obviously that's going to play into the mentality of the whole squad. No wonder they got decked 4-1 by a Stuttgart team who I'd say are comparable to Leeds because Leeds and Stuttgart both going forward definitely have top division, top five league quality. It's worth the fact that there is still a little bit shaky and they're right now both teams that, you know, concede a lot of goals but just end up scoring more as of now and how long that will go well. No one knows, but you know, Bayelotta lost the dressing room, and after getting decked four-one at home as well, it was obvious he was going to lose. He was going to get the sack. I never thought. I never realized why Mainz really wanted to sign him because his position before that at um, SAF to Köln, he got sacked from there as well because he was underperforming, and then two months later he had the Mainz job which baffled me at the time. And now you're seeing him getting sacked again about, you know, just over a year later. So I don't know. Well, you've already mentioned Julian Favre. Lucien Favre. Lucien Favre. I'll get it right (laughs) eventually. But his team, I'm not going to call it the upset of the round because it wasn't. (laughs) And we'll get to that. But losing 2-0 to FC Augsburg, that Dortmund side should not be losing 2-0 to Augsburg. Especially because this is a team, you know, you have ambitions to try and challenge for the league title. If you've got ambitions to challenge for the league title, you should not be losing in your second match against a team that most experts would agree may be positioned in the, in the midfield of the, uh, of the table at the end of the season. Well, I don't know whether it's a fitness thing that Favre didn't pick Brandt or Royce or Dahoud. But the starting 11, so you've got Emre Chan, who's not a centre-back, at right centre-back in the back three. Then you've got a midfield three of Axel Witzel, fair enough. Then you've got Jude Benningham and Gio Reyna. They're not even allowed to drive or drink yet. That's what I mean. They're, they're <laughs> good players in their own right, but they're very inexperienced. Still, and when you've got Mo Dehoud, who might not be everyone's cup of tea, but he still does a job. Yeah. And Julian Brandt. I mean, Sancho and Haaland up front, they pick themselves. Arguably, so does Guerrero and Thomas Mounier, a wing back. Yeah. But it's that, it's that centre-mid pairing of Reyna and Bellingham. When you've got Marco Royce and Julian Brandt on the bench. But I watched the game... Uh, live and they just when Daniel Caligiuri scored the second goal yeah it yeah, they just went heads yeah, were gone there was no press there was no desire the passes were sloppy mentally they checked out definitely because it's with Michael Royce fair enough you still have to say that he was 
he made his comeback during preseason, so he might still be fitness wise. It's a little bit a little bit too early. Julian Brandt, I don't know what the deal is because he I mean, he he definitely played during the Nations League. I mean, yeah, he came off the bench, but he played during the Nations League, so he's obviously fit. And as you said, why you would pick two inexperienced players and put them in the central midfield role. Like, I watched Gio Reyna try and win a penalty, and it was probably the most naive flop. The fact that he didn't get a yellow for that. It was the, it was the worst attempt to, you know, try and win a penalty by, you know, realizing that the player is diving in, that the defender is diving in. But, you know, everyone could see that the guy was just, you know, he, he lifted off about a second before Kid, uh, Rani Kidira even was anywhere near him. It's that type of play where I'm thinking, you know, yeah, he's 17, but then give him... It's, there's no problem playing either Jude Bellingham or Gio Reyna and putting them in with another experienced midfield player, or it's at least a midfielder who has a bit more experience, a bit more Bundesliga experience than than either of them. And I mean, arguably, it's not that hard to do because, as I said, they can't even they can't even buy alcohol. So I mean, you pair one of them with Yudi and Brandt, and not only is it a bit more insurance for them, it's that thing mentally where it's like, okay, well, I've got a player who's played Christ knows how many games in the Bundesliga for Leverkusen and for Dortmund. Yeah. If I do make a a mistake, a bad pass, or I miss the ball, there's someone there to go, it's all right. I'll pick up the slack. Pick your head up. I'm here to mop up, essentially. Yeah, exactly. same way you wouldn't start two centre-backs of the same age as Bellingham and Reyna. Yeah. It is just one of those things. What also shocked me was was Favre's post-match interview, where he basically just... he. The reporter was asking him questions about, you know, tactics and trying to get at the meat of the game. And Favre was just avoiding any detailed answers and was giving, you know, avoiding answers. And essentially, his, his words were, you know, they're disappointed. You just, you just lost a game that has Dortmund written, win written all over it. You've got ambitions to challenge for the title and you've just made some big signs and you have arguably a team with the quality to win the Bundesliga title and you're still just going, Oh, we're disappointed. That to me just doesn't, that to me brings it back to the question that Favre always hates. Is there a mentality problem at Dortmund? And does that mentality problem lie with the coach? Yeah. If you want me to put myself out on a limb. (laughs) Yeah. Because, okay. So Bayern, they had Jupp Heinkers and when he left, you know, a serial winner, when he left, Pep Guardiola, another serial yeah. winner. When Pep really? left, Ancelotti, again, won Zero. things everywhere yeah. he's been. Nico Kovac, Kovac was the first one. We don't talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Hansi Flick's won four trophies in you know, a year, in a calendar year. That's obscene. And Calendar, calendar nine months. Nine exactly. months. So... There's clearly a mentality thing that buying coaches need that Kovac probably didn't have. And I'd also, yeah. And I mean, even, even then, Kovac still managed to win the double in his first year. Well, there we go. But I'd wager that Favre doesn't have that winner's mentality. Yeah, a, a DFB pockle, great, cool. 
but it's not title after title. It's not constantly pressing and pressing. And I, you know, I, I said it to you in jest uh, before we started recording because it's not going to happen. So I'll say it again now. <laughs> but there was, you know, Jaden, Jaden Sancho. You think the way he ran around, His the whole team the looked like they didn't want to be there. Yeah, and that's where that, that goes back to the mentality thing. You know, it's just, you know, Sancho. You know, Erling Haaland is still young. It's a very young team. And you've got players, you've got like your Mats Hummels in there that have won stuff, Marco Royce that have won things. But if you go through a season where Marco Royce picks up an injury again or Mats Hummels gets injured, you've got no one in that team that can go, okay, we're 1-0 uh, we're down away at Augsburg. Let's pick it up. You know, dust yourselves off. And this is what winners do. Exactly. I mean, it's... Jaden Sancho's ball that he lost in midfield, um, or better said, the you know he lobbed the pass to try and you know to do a cute little dink over a player, and the cute little dink goes to no one in particular, and lands at the feet of an Augsburg player. It's just it's it, it's careless. It was lazy play from all of them. Like I said, I think. Obviously, they're going to say, no, we didn't give up. Because if they come out and say, oh, yeah, we gave up. Fans or no fans in the stadium, that's a witch hunt waiting to happen. Oh, yeah. Daniel Caligiuri scores that second goal. And mentally, I think they some off. of the younger players, at least, checked out. Yeah. The upset of the day was, was not Augsburg being Dortmund. It was Bayern not just losing, but getting... Four goals put past Manuel Neuer, who up until this match, arguably the best keeper on the planet and oh. in top form. The whole Bayern team was in top form. So, sorry, Lewis. Uh, just excuse me. I'm just going to uh, sit back for this one and uh, get my brew in my hand, wind <laughs> you up, and watch you go. Go on, then. Do your worst. No, I mean, I, I agree <laughs> with what you said to me, to be honest. And you're going to go into it. But you didn't need the extra time in the Super Cup. Nope. <laughs> no one. Need, you didn't need the extra time in the European Charity Shield. Yeah. F- fuck knows why that was played. It's just uh, one. Of, I can understand it it's frustrating for you because there was such a relatively short turnaround. Yeah. yeah. Can you put down that loss specifically to player fatigue. Here's the thing. I'm not going to put that loss down to player fatigue purely because you have to give Hoffenheim credit. They did an unreal job. They, they, tactically, that was, a, that was a tactical masterclass. And I mean, none other than Sebastian Hoeneß, nephew of Bayern uh, or former Bayern president um, Uli Hoeneß, was the manager on the TSG Hoffenheim side. Also, that very same manager who led Bayern's reserves from being a newly promoted team into the third Bundesliga all the way to winning the third league title. This is a manager who knows how to get stuff done. And he, he produced a tactical masterclass against Bayern. So I don't like, I also definitely want to give Hoffenheim credit because they were good. They were more than good. They had a, they had an unreal day and Bayern had a crap one. It was the perfect scenario for Bayern to go down the way they did and the only way Bayern goes down the way they did is because everything worked out for Hoffenheim you that's 
that's what makes the great teams or that's what makes great teams great teams is the fact that you need a perfect combination of factors for them to go down in the in that fashion so i'm not going to take away from hoffenheim you know playing the way they did they didn't they did an outstanding job and uh andre kramaric I bet Leicester City, I mean, I know Leicester City have got an unreal striker in Jamie Vardy, but Leicester City definitely will still be looking at Kramaric and thinking, mm, maybe we should have kept that kid because he's That's decent. what I mean. Like any, anyone like me who watched Andre Kramaric play for Leicester, and then you look at the, the two goals he scored against Bayern, one was a great penalty and the other one was a really well-taken goal. Yeah. It's night and day player. Yeah, and you think, obviously they've got Kelechi and Acho and things like that, but the player he could have been, and the player he is now at Hoffenheim, he terrorized Bayern all yeah. afternoon. He really did. I I can't take I can't take away. That's why I I can't take away from it. The one thing, the one reason I will put in player fatigue in is because. This is more of a wake-up call for Bayern's board and specifically the sporting director, Hasan Zalihamidzic, because Bayern... Lewandowski said himself in the post-match interview after the European Super Cup, you know, he said, we're not going to go party right now because we're dead. That's 120 minutes. We had... They played the Champions League final. Bayern played the Champions League final a month ago. And you're asking a squad of players who just also lost... Felipe Coutinho, Ivan Perisic, uh, it, two players who had massive, a massive hand in Bayern winning that treble. And Thiago. And that last but not least, Thiago. Thiago was a motor. He was the engine in that Bayern midfield. I understand completely why Bayern's board let him go. That I'm not going to you know, blame them for. But if you let him go out of respect for him and you know what he's done for the club then you have to be prepared for the consequences and when i say prepared i mean you have to have a solution ready for how you're going to compensate losing a player like that in the midfield because he showed the world when liverpool played chelsea why he is probably the best midfielder after kevin de Bruyne at the minute that guy had more touches on the ball than any chelsea player and he only played 45 minutes in that man in that match Premier League and that's what Bayern, for a number of passes in a half. Exactly. That's, and that's, that's what Bayern lost. And if all you're going to do is sign Leroy Sané, which, let's face it, that was a transfer already. Everyone knew that was coming, and it should have been done last season. So, in effect, you haven't really signed anyone new. You haven't compensated for the fact that you've lost three key players who helped you win that treble and who provided the squad depth for you to be able to play three competitions. And if you don't do that, you, you're going to be asking to get spanked by Hoffenheim because you, know, you, can't, or you can't expect a 19-year-old uh, Joshua Zürkze to compensate Robert Lewandowski. And he, as much as it pains me to say it, he's no Mason Greenwood. Too right. He is definitely a player with an enormous amount of talent, and given the right time, given right, you know, the right opportunities, he will definitely grow into becoming a great striker. 
as of now, he definitely has the potential to do so. And he, he scored four goals last season, which is for an 18 year old at the time is a very decent, you know, it's a very decent quota, but, if if you really want to if you really want to you know defend three titles and you know pull a Real Madrid defend the Champions League title, you're going to need to do a hell of a lot more than bringing 17 year old Jamal Musiala onto the pitch. You know to rotate. I'm sorry, she's not the what what the Bayern board, especially Zalihamidzic, were thinking. It were sorry, damn, get the German in there. Were thinking when they did didn't sign any replacements it's baffling well you've got seven days left of the window it's gonna be a panic buy there's no nothing nothing that happens now is going to be you know an actually well thought out transfer it's gonna be a panic buy this is last season all over again given last season the panic buys of Coutinho or the panic loans more better said of Coutinho and Perisic last minute did prove to be fruitful. I will give them that. But usually, they're not that fruitful. And I'm going to say that Coutinho and Perisic, up until Flick were, you know, up until Flick, Flick was the head coach, they weren't great. So I don't know what kind of panic buys Ali Hamic is going to do now, but it's, I'm not expecting much. I mean, we were linked with Brozovic from Inter to replace Thiago. You're replacing Thiago with a player who's, probably more like Vidal than anyone else. The guy who will two-foot a guy if the team needs a wake-up call. Yeah, he's but very he, heavily defensive-minded as Brozovic. Uh, it, it, it just pain, it's painful to watch the board do things like this. Well, I wonder how that feels. <laughs> but there you have it, people at home. A collector's item in recent years. A Bayern Munich loss. Four goals to one. I can count on my hand how many times I remember that. Exactly. I mean, to be fair, I got kind of, you know, I forgot how it feels to lose. And I'm not going to lie, I don't care for it. Oh, you poor, unfortunate <laughs> soul. I forgot how it feels to lose. The arrogance of that man. Okay. Uh. Let's move on and talk Premier League before you say something else that's going to make me want to walk to Germany and spin your jaw. You couldn't spin my jaw if you tried. You've got, seven, you've got like seven inches reach on me. It's not fair. <laughs> okay. Well, moving on to the Premier League. We might as well just move on to probably the upset of the day there. Yeah, can we? Oh, no, you're, you're dying to go in on this one. I'm you are dying, dying to go in on this. In a proper and inject into my veins moment watching that football. Get in my veins! <laughs> All right, Manchester City, <laughs> two. Leicester City, five. Five. Sink. <laughs> Sink. Sunk. Cinco. <laughs> All I'm going to say, first off, Riyad Mahrez, <laughs> genuinely could probably put that up there for goal of the season it's match day two <laughs> <laughs> the way he caught that the and that was oh. rip snorter thunder it was great and what listening to that without the crowd noise oh drool worthy oh it, oh 
It, oof. It, it, I'm just replaying it in my mind right now. Just, just closing my eyes, my eyes, just little mental, mental film going off right now. Oh, that hit. Oh, but that's so not what I want to dwell on. Yeah. Okay. True. <laughs> so we're not talking so much transfers this week, but as many people may have seen, Benfica have announced that they're selling Ruben Diaz to Man City for a estimated potential total of sixty-eight million pounds, with Nicolas Osamendi going the other way. Talk about a panic buy. <laughs> Not necessarily, because this was all linked before the Leicester game. So Fabrizio ah, Romano, okay. this come out a couple of days beforehand. But before they signed Ruben Diaz. Pep Guardiola, not City in general, Pep Guardiola's Man City had spent £345 million on defenders to be slapped (laughs) 5-2. But three of them, penalties in that game, right? Carl Walker, what are you thinking? Benjamin Mendy, what, what are you are thinking? You thinking? <laughs> <laughs> like, I said it's a, one of the City fans from uni. It's like, he's just a French Luke Shaw at this point. All that <laughs> hype when he come from Monaco, it's like, it's just, it's not worked out for the lad, is it really? Carl Walker passed it. He was rubbish for England in international duty before. He got sent off in the last England game and even he admitted it that could potentially be his last England appearance. Because you think the right-backs England have got. Right now, I take Brighton's Tarek Lamptey over Kyle Walker. Funnily enough, Kyle Walker is the second-best-rated right-back in the Premier League on FIFA. Well, we know that the EA ratings for this, uh, for this year's so, FIFA 21 are Sorry shit to anyway. break it to you, nerds. <laughs> FIFA's not realistic. <laughs> not in the slightest. Anyways, but sorry, one last thing. So people people make more out of this than they need to. It's second game of the season. City started later. They didn't have a preseason. Similar reasons to why United look crap at the moment. But Jamie Vardy, <laughs> oh, he's thirty three. Um, can I interject with the reminder here? Crack on by all means. Your main man. Wayne Rooney. Was what was he, 33? Playing for Derby. There you go. Thierry Henry. What was your main man doing at age 33? Not winning the MLS with New York Red Bulls. There you go. I mean, put that into perspective. Just, just take a minute there. Vardy is a severely underrated Premier League striker. And the thing Jesus. is... He wasn't Premier League until late 20s. So at the yeah. moment, the record for the most goals scored by an over, 30, over 30s player is Ian Wright. But that's not going to last much longer. Oh, hell no. And I know, keeps this up. I know he's hung up his boots for England to give but, the younger players a chance. But, but please. <laughs> if he has another 20 goal plus season, if I was Gareth Southgate, I'd be on my knees outside his front door. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Begging, 
begging you. I literally <laughs> would. I'd do anything to get him in, back in that England team if he has another 20 goal. And he's going to happen the way he looks. If I was English, yeah. I'd, I'd 100% be there. Yeah, I, Unreal, the guy. Unreal. But it's just another example in the long list of ridiculous Premier League results. I don't think if you picked the start of the season, no one's picking West Ham to beat Wolves 4-0. Oh, hell no. Like, I, I don't know what's going on. Like, one of, one of our friends said, this is the craziest start to a season ever. You've got, you know, so many lapses in concentration, so many defensive errors. It's, it's uncanny. And I mean, this all definitely has to do with the fact that, you know, the pandemic has turned the whole season's normal season schedule completely upside down. Yeah. And you even look at the West Brom Chelsea game. Oh, Chelsea 3-0 down to West Brom. It's like, I mean, fair enough to West Brom for being 3-0 up at half time. But there's no way that Chelsea, well, you say that, but Thiago Silva exposed. Yeah. Captain's Um, debut for Chelsea gifts the ball to Callum Robinson for a goal and is taken off on the 73rd minute. I'm sorry, but what business does he have being captain of Chelsea? I think he doesn't talk English, but he he talks football in inverted commas. But I can't understand why as Pelaqueta wasn't starting. The biggest shock was Caballero starting over Kepa. Is that a big shock though? No, not really. I just wanted to be democratic. (laughs) But... Even his performances? Well, he's got arms like wet tissue paper. Useless. (laughs) But, you know, all this talk about last season are, you know, my my boys, Lampard's kids, all the money you've spent, Frankie boy. (laughs) And uh, which three players scored for you? Was it it multi-million pound striker Timo Werner? Was it club record signing Kai Havertz? No. It was Tammy Abraham, Mason Mount, and Callum Hudson-Odoi. Funny that when you put your faith in players that have done it for you previously. I mean, you have to be fair to Kai Havertz. He did give a delicious through ball to Callum Hudson-Odoi for that uh, 3-2. It's not an 80 million pound through ball, though, is it? Mason Mount could have played that quite easily. Also, I'm going to be a little bit critical of the goalkeeper on Mason Mount's goal. He just kind of stood there. Oh, no. He, I, I don't like praising Chelsea at all, but he hit that so sweet. The movement on that ball. I can understand why Sam Johnson didn't move. I'd still be asking questions of the keeper. Well, but he wasn't no, good enough. No, fair, fair enough. Mason Mount, he's hit, that, he's hit that solidly. But let's go on to probably the most unreal 90-plus minutes i have probably or definitely up there on the top five of the craziest added time i've ever seen in a league match okay uh i'm going to um probably ruffle some feathers let's hear it i'm gonna say one thing first because i'm not going to talk about the whole game (laughs) because who really wants to hear about that again brighton with a better team and deserved something from that game but I've got no sympathy for them because the aim of football is to score, not to hit the woodwork five times in a game. Premier League record that. And, okay, fine. Score a last-minute equaliser. 
But if you want to get points in the Premier League, don't deliberately handball the ball with the last... I cannot conceive of Neil Mopé's mind when he goes, I know what I'll do. Solly March is on the line. So even without that deflection, he's keeping that ball out. But I'll lead with my forearm as if to punch the ball from Harry Maguire's head. That's not the controversy. It's, I was about to say that just reminded me of 2010 World Cup, Luis Suarez on the line against Ghana, last kick of the game, where he on the line just decides he's going to go from striker to goalkeeper. Yeah, and no one's arguing that it, was, it wasn't a handball from Neil Mope. You can't deny that because he leads with his hand. Deliberate as you like. No, contra- no issue with that handball. But the referee blew for full time the minute Solly March cleared the ball. So Chris Kavanagh has blown the whistle. What? That's 97 minutes over. 97 minutes of a 95-minute game are done. We shake hands, we go down the tunnel, we move on. And then everyone swarms the referee. You've got all the United players. You've got Maguire, Matic, going, oh, his hand, his hand, his hand. Solly March is like, well, it didn't. I headed the ball away. I was like, what are you doing? Like, are you trying to embarrass yourselves? Like, he's clearly not touched that ball. And then it was like, oh, hang on. VAR are telling him to go and have a look at that. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Like, what is going on? I was sat in my, in my chair, absolutely dumbfounded. I mean, I'm happy that it was given and I'll take the three points, but surely you're not allowed to do that. It's like, oh, by the way, uh, United have been given four penalties against Crystal Palace after the full-time whistle had gone. So they won that game. 4-3. Great result, lads. It baffles me and why, but I'm not going to complain because VAR was used properly twice in that game. Twice VAR went, uh, Chris, you uh, you might want to go and have a look at that decision, buddy. Because uh, <laughs> buddy boy, I think that's wrong. Twice it was uh, he gave a penalty to Brighton because Aaron Connolly went down under pressure from Paul Pogba when it was Aaron Connolly who initiated the contact with Pogba's leg. So nice. he gave a penalty, and then VAR went. Actually, Chris, go and have a look at that. So, oh my God, they're using they're using the monitor. It's just what German football feels like. So that's unprecedented scenes on the south coast full-time whistle goes and united get a hundredth minute penalty in a a game of 90 minutes with five minutes added time anything to say on that like (laughs) what do you think about blowing the whistle for full time and then going oh actually best have a check of that because the only reason i can think why that's acceptable is because he's he's handled the ball whilst the game is still happening yeah, but how do you not see that, though? How do you just go, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to blow the full-time whistle there. Didn't really see anything happen there. I think it was the the furore of the whole thing. So Brighton equalized 95th minute. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that we didn't even mention. The, uh, Solly March, his first goal in two years. I mean, fair play. He, had, he could have scored a hat-trick. Same as Leandro Trossard. But the celebrations, they... They take about 30 seconds and it's okay. Give the ball to United. They run down the left. They get a corner. Take the corner. Maguire heads it into Neil. And Neil Mopé goes at it with his forearm. Chris Kavanagh blows. And then he looks. And I don't want to dwell on this too much because 
I mean, hopefully it doesn't happen again. But at the same time, they're implementing the word of the law correctly. So I'm a little bit unclear on your position now at this point, because you've kind of been, you've been going back and forth and saying, yes, they've implemented the law correctly, but then again, it shouldn't be happening again. Well, that's, I, don't, I don't know where I stand because it's never happened. No one's ever blown a full-time whistle before and then gone, oh, actually, no, you can have a penalty. Fair point that. <laughs> like, if, if I was a Brighton fan, I'd be utterly fuming. I'd be disgusted. But you can't deny he's not handballed it. And I spoke to James from uni. He was like, oh, no, that's ruined football. That has that's ruining football, the VAR. It's like, yeah, but without VAR, all the talking point from the Brighton United game is how did the officials not see that handball from Neil Mope? Exactly. And it would have been another masterclass of Billy saying, best league in the world, worst officiating in the world. I take it back. The officials from that game actually did a decent job. And on the flip side of that, I'm not going to lay into them because it wouldn't be an episode of the 50 plus one football podcast without me digging the refs a new grave. I think it's my calling in life. It really does seem to be. I'm going to reform refereeing and I'm going to try and do it in under 10 minutes. That's ambitious. It's ambitious. Well, we'll see what I can do. So the new handball rule, (laughs) it's been everywhere. You can't avoid it. Even if you don't like football, it's been everywhere. So for for clarity in this, so a handball offence is characterised by the ball touching anywhere from the tip of a player's fingers to their upper arm, directly in line with the bottom of the armpit. Essentially meaning anything below the shoulder is a foul. Right. Shall we discuss that? So basically, this isn't a... It's not a FIFA or a UEFA-driven rule. It comes from IFAB, which... Exactly. You've got you to gotta explain this now. This is not an Apple product, by the way. No, this isn't like a new photo editing app from Apple. IFAB stands for the International Football Association Board. And it's made up of members of FIFA, members of the English, Scottish, Welsh, and Irish FAs. So we're represented. In this. Okay, sorry. We're basically any representation. Where's any representation from Europe's other top five leagues? Oh no, this is just for home nations. Ah, okay. So, but because fat, we make up our fat, own rules. Fat luck calling it freaking international football uh, football board uh, or association board. It's not. There's nothing international about it. They should call it the CFAB, Commonwealth Football association well, that's really triggered me that has it may have triggered you but it's not the issue i wish to raise well i still i'd still like to raise that issue i believe so, i have well we'll put it in an email i'll cc you <laughs> <laughs> so basically uh. ifab have this little committee think the legion of doom type <laughs> feel with this and it's run by a guy called david ellery i've done my research on this it's really hit a nerve with me this handball shambles so david ellery we did say we were football nerds yeah so just for clarification yeah this is like um <laughs> what do normal people watch the x factor if someone you didn't want to win won, you research who they are exactly so david well, ellery <laughs> runs he's in charge of ifab and he has been for the past four years and they introduce little changes and little interpretations into the law of the game and normally, it's four or five different tweaks 
in regulations a year. Yeah. I'll give you one guess, Lewis. How many changes in four years has David Ellery made to the uh, laws of football? Well, it's definitely not just 20. 200. Jesus! He's made nearly 200 changes in four years. And this is a man who had his control of VAR taken away from him by FIFA because they weren't happy with the way it was being used. Hence why this season, we're seeing the use of the monitors more. FIFA took away David Ellery's control of VAR because he wasn't implementing it correctly. IFAB sort of shit out. (laughs) And yet this man, and Roy Hodgson said it amazingly after the Cheku Kiate handball in inverted commas, after they lost 2-1 to Everton. It's like, how have players, coaches, managers, owners allowed this rule to be put in place? Because it's not wanted by any fan, any player, manager, coach, owner, uh, broadcaster or journalists, nerds like me and you. I don't get what is the problem with the old rule. Just, just stick to the fact that if you're, you know, you're increasing your body surface area, then it's a handball. Yeah, so they should basically scrap that because uh, Matt, Do- Matt Do- uh, Doherty's penalty against Southampton, not a penalty. Victor Lindelof's against Crystal Palace, what are you meant to do? Not run with your arms. Exactly. Find, that's because that a player rule, with no arms. And I'll... That, that rule allows basically, or, or negates the whole fact of if your arm is basically pressed to your side, it's not a handball because you could be literally standing like a pencil with your arms by your side in freaking like in like in the military, and so they'd call for a handball because it's hit you on the uh, on the arm between your fingertips and the bottom of your deltoid. Are you freaking kidding me? Exactly, and just for people who don't know at home, Lewis, what naturally happens when you jump for a ball in football? Well, do, your arms. Do, do your arms move in any? capacity at all usually so you know you're a human thank you and that's what eric dyer is not even facing the ball in tottenham's game against newcastle on sunday he's not even facing the ball it hits the top part of his arm above his shirt line oh no that's a that's a penalty no it's not go back to the original handball the only way it's a handball is if it's deliberately leading to a goal or gives you a, an advantage in defending one or something like because that is cheating yeah exactly that's what i'm saying an increase in surface area of your body L- literally defined by your if you basically increase the surface area of your body from when you are standing basically straight backed with your arms by your side if you increase that surface area you're basically acting as keepers do when they are in a one-on-one where they increase their surface area by spreading their arms and legs to make sure that they can cover more of the goal. So that rule makes sense. And it, oh, it frustrates the hell out of me because it, it's happened against my team. It's happened in favor of my team. And I, I've, I've sat there and it's like, well, that's clearly not a penalty, but I'm not going to complain. You know, there, is, there are some clubs that it hasn't happened against and... Trust me, lucky. when it does, it really stings. There's been 20 penalties in 28 games this season. 
quick question seeing as you've done your research this rule only applies to ifab regulated leagues so basically we're talking about the commonwealth well correct the, the or does this of, apply now to europe is this now european is this now european wide no because the handball rule is different in germany so this literally only applies to they make the rules for other you know they make different regulations but for Wait, some reason so the, so the ifab are making one set of rules for basically all of the uk and they still can influence rules that are made in other top five leagues so they are international well let me put it this way the premier league have uh, apparently have said according to the athletic have said if this carries on we're just going to change the, the law ourselves if they're not going to change it then we're just going to do it ourselves Imagine being a referee at this point as well. You're getting one change after the other, and it's going back and forth. You're just thinking, so what the hell am I supposed to? That's, what that's the hell the am I supposed to referee? Am I supposed to? What am I supposed to whistle? Blow the whistle for? Am I supposed to blow the whistle for any ball touching the arm? Well, or am I supposed to blow for the for for an increase in surface area? What what am I as a referee? I'd be fuming. Well, there's there's two things to say on that. I mean, one, as a referee, you have to implement the letter of the law. Or it goes negatively against you. Yeah, so you but then you've also got shit a, either way. Yeah, you've also got a moral difficulties and say, well, that's not really a handball, but Mr. Ellery says it's a handball, so I have to give that penalty. And you're putting it in an you're putting teams in an unfair advantage where if you're a player, you're just aiming for the for the hand. Exactly. You're if it's not ninety third minute and you need a goal, you're going for that arm and causing you're a massive fuss. It, exactly. You're going to try and hit it, you know, half height, like halfway. You're literally just, you're basically your Terminator style. Your mind's eye is zooming and targeting that arm. So, yeah, if you want the handball rule changed to something sane and within normality. We'll start a petition. <laughs> email IFAB. I mean, obviously I'm not going to probably. Obviously, don't send them abuse. I'm not. Let's not start that. But. Genuinely, if enough people kick up a fuss about this, because players have said it, managers are saying it, ex-pros are saying it in the media all the time, this can well, get changed. There's probably already a petition circling change.org as we speak. I mean, I need, to, I need to talk about something light and fluffy. Liverpool basically going in on Arsenal and beating them 3-1, which is what everyone expected. <laughs> yeah, That's I mean, a topic. We can finish the we can finish the episode with. <laughs> yeah, and feel good moment for Diogo Jota. He got his big move to Liverpool. Came off the bench and scored, scored. a really good goal actually. Took it down on his chest chest from uh headed out following a corner. And volleyed it in. It was a really nice goal. And I don't like Liverpool, but I really like Diogo Jota. And you can see what it meant to him. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, you know, it was it was what everyone expected. And if I remember correctly, you said Lacazette. Uh, what were your oh, exact words? <laughs> I called him the worst striker in the Premier League, which probably is a bit unfair considering the Premier League still has strikers like Christian Benteke, but he missed two ridiculous one-on-ones. Which also goes to show that Liverpool are still shaky at the back or they they can be hurt. You know, they're not invincible like, you know, last season before 
before the corona break. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, Arsenal's goal come from a defensive mistake from Andy Robertson. And God knows how many times we, I've said that last season. Probably none. Yeah. I don't think we said that, you know, last season, any Liverpool defensive player made any mistake. And then, you know, now Virgil van Dijk has done it. Andy Robertson's done it. You know, there's, there's something there's something not quite up to 100% there. I wouldn't quite put it down to, oh, well, they've won the league. They've switched off. I think it's more just the nah. ridiculous nature of this season so far. Yeah, I mean, we've we've seen things that we never thought we would see happen ever. And it was, you know, it, Liverpool and City are the first two teams that have shown that, you know, their dominance is flickering. And who said, or who would have thought that one? I mean, I'm pretty sure that when we gave our prognosis for the start of the season, or at least I did, I put Liverpool and City being the ones to dominate the league again and i mean at this point i don't know what's gonna happen well there is one thing for certain paddy power have already paid out on fulham to get relegated (laughs) it's not going well i think i saw i think it might have been statman dave on twitter at the current rate they're conceding goals they're on course to concede 156 which actually if you were a fulham fan it would just make you cry wouldn't it it really would you know they lost 3-0 uh, on Monday night at time of recording to Aston Villa wasn't a good performance from Fulham and their owner came out on Twitter and apologised I mean, I'm not going to lie <laughs> kudos that looks that. kudos for that but that looks that looks a whole lot like what Schalke are doing at the minute that, you know Schalke don't Schalke and Fulham both don't have so much a wall for their back line as they do a sieve well let me read you the Statement from Fulham's owner quickly. Let me get it up. Here he is, Tony Khan. I apologize to Fulham supporters for our performance tonight. We look to add center backs since Wembley. I'm sorry we haven't yet, as two got COVID. Plus, we lost a free transfer we thought was close and had another issue with a fourth center back. I promise players will come in. And better efforts will come from this squad. Big, big mouth for the fact that you only have seven days left to sign someone. I mean, yeah. And even if they bring in one centre-back, how much is that papering over cracks? I think they were just promoted one season too early. They probably needed another season in the championship just to really solidify their squad to be Premier League ready. And I, I'd also attribute this a little bit to the pandemic to the fact that they, you know, they, they probably just didn't have the adequate preparation they needed to, you know, get that squad and that team Premier League ready. But then again, what about Leeds? I mean, Leeds was a better team anyway, but that's what I'm saying. Players they've brought in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we can leave the topic of Fulham papering over cracks for next week. And next week is a, Ever so slightly special episode. Oh, you've announced it. I'm looking We're forward to bringing in. Oh, go on, you announce it. No, nah, go on. You sorted this. Fair enough. We will be bringing Louis Beneventi, formerly of 100% Chelsea, on YouTube and currently on the Chelsea Echo. So if you want to head over to that podcast as well, 
check out some Chelsea-specific news. But we will be having the man, the myth, the legend of Chelsea YouTube on our podcast next week. So make sure to tune in exactly a week from now and hear all of his thoughts on Chelsea's transfer summer, the current Chelsea performances, and much more. So that's all we've got for this week, guys. Mm-hmm. I think I need to lie down in a darkened room. Uh, I need, I need to come down, I need to come down off of the... My mind's been whirring. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game.